Blog Talk Radio. Hey guys and gals, Richard Diaz here from the Natural Running Network. I just want to remind you, before we get started with this show, that if you hadn't already done it, you need to visit us at www.naturalrunningnetwork.com. Register there. Become a subscriber. We'd love to have you. Lots of cool stuff happens when you get next to us like that. Great show for you today with Nicodemus Holland. Let's go ahead and get this going. Welcome to the Natural Running Network. We are brought to you by Mio, makers of the world's first strapless heart rate monitor sports watches, and MedHab, makers of RPM Squared, an innovative system of gait analysis that slips right into your running shoes. My name is Richard Diaz. I am your host. Are you a runner? Do you love to get out and challenge yourself? Running your first marathon or maybe caught the bug of obstacle racing? Well, sit tight because this is a show you just don't want to miss. I'm with Nicodemus Holland, and he is absolutely an extraordinary ultra trail running athlete. Nick and I have had a chance to meet. We've been toying back and forth on projects coming up in the future and really thought it'd be great to get Nick on to talk about some of the adventures he's had recently and some of the ones that he's got coming up. Nick, say hello to everybody. Hey, everybody, and uh, hey, Richard. Uh, happy to be uh, back on the show. Always, uh, always a pleasure to have a good chat with you. Well, you know, Nick, you're a student of the art, and I think that uh, what's really cool about what you do is you, you got your ear to the ground, you're paying close attention, you're looking for anything you can do to really bring your game to the front. Absolutely. And Absolutely. Uh, I think a lot of guys are hoping and praying and, and all that kind of stuff generally doesn't work out. Yeah. <laughs> so for whatever it's worth, uh, I applaud you for studiousness in the, in the prospects of developing your talents. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, it, uh, you know, it's paid off for me at races like Barkley. So, you know, kind of hoping in the sense of, uh, you know, doing as much as I can uh, in terms of research before uh, uh, the event here, the, the Spartan race specifically in two weeks, uh, hoping that, you know, all my... All my research and watching YouTube videos and stuff like that, a spear throwing and all that will uh, hopefully pay off. So, <laughs> Okay, before, before we get into all of that, I want to just kind of share the depth of who I'm speaking with because I think it's really important that people grasp, you know, where you've been and what you've done because really you've got, for as young as you are, you've got some amazing accomplishments. And you and I discussed last year's event the Tour de Giants, which I think is just absolutely crazy. It's just such an, a, an amazing undertaking for you to be able to finish second. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, you were the only American to ever podium at that event. Is that correct? Yes, yeah, and still stands. Um, so the race actually just finished uh, Wednesday this year. Um, and, yeah, um, finished second last year. It was 76 hours and somewhere around like 18 minutes, I think, was my, my final time. And, and uh, it was two, two, 205 miles over four of the steepest mountain ranges in Europe, right? 
Uh, it's all throughout the Alps, but it's uh, it's got a cumulative elevation gain of eighty thousand feet, which you know when you compare that with any other race in the world, that's the pretty much the most elevation gain you'll find out of any race in the world. So wow, um, one of the certainly one of the steepest and most most hilly. You can't really call it hilly, more mountainy races you'll ever find. And I understand that the race, for the most part, is unsupported. You're kind of on your own through this, right? Uh, yes and no. Um, they, they didn't have definitive rules last year when they did it, whether or not you could have a pacer. So that was kind of up in the air. Uh, they had rules this year where it was strictly no pacer. Um, but you're mostly on your own. You know, you're going through these different remote mountain passes. Um, but there are aid stations and checkpoints uh, pretty much every time you come down from the mountain. But you've certainly got, you know, 25 to 30 kilometer sections where uh, it's, it's you and the mountain more or less. And uh, occasionally there's those, those uh, mountain huts and stuff that you come across where they'll have uh, tea and all that for you. And I think the last time we spoke about this, and correct me if I'm wrong, but did you get like a full four, 15 minutes worth of sleep during those 70-some-odd hours? So 76 hours and 18 minutes, I this was a huge part going into this race. And, you know, if anybody else is looking to do 48 to 72-hour type events, uh, which luckily there's not so many in the world for our endocrine systems, um, but... Um, it was, uh, I practiced way before the race, you know, the, the whole 15 minute nap and okay, how, how quickly can I fall asleep in 30 seconds? So training my body to do that was, was a huge, uh, part going in this race. And long story short, I slept for about an hour and 40 minutes total throughout that race. And that was more or less to just combat the hallucinations on the third day so that they were somewhat. <laughs> now, so if I understand that, and I, and I don't want to kick this dog too much because we visited this quite a lot before yeah, yeah. and we got a lot of cool stuff to talk about that's that's more recent Absolutely. but but just you know i guess the the thing that kind of draws my attention is the sheer danger associated with being on some of these mountain passes where it gets pretty edgy the 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 terrain is loose shale things like this mm-hmm. and i guess if you fall asleep that gets to be a bit of a problem right Absolutely. And that was kind of my, you know, so, so they prohibited pacers at this year's event. And that was kind of my, uh, like, I'm, I'm, I'm personally for pacers at this event just because of, of, of that risk right there. You know, you get 72 hours into a race, fastest person who comes through that race finishes in 72 hours. And exactly what you're saying, you know, you're at these high mountain passes going through these parts where you're next to 500, 800, 1,000 foot cliffs and stuff where you're literally you know, wobbling back and forth on the trail, you know, like you've downed a couple bottles of rum or something. And, um, yeah, really easy to just kick and trip or something in that case. And, um, certainly there's some, there's, there's some risk there. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you what, I probably would fall to my death in the parking lot. (laughs) <laughs> that you know that that often you know you uh you see people uh I've, I've had a couple friends who have you know been on their way to 100 milers or something like that and been been doing a jog around the city the day before and it's often you know where you get the injury isn't so much at that horrible technical terrain because it demands that you pay so much attention it's like going through the city on a leisurely walk where the sidewalk should be flat but there's one part sticking up it's it's that stuff where you've turned off your mind uh that that honestly like almost always injures people (laughs) so uh going back to the tail end of last year having met and having spoke about some of these things that you've been involved in I think it was me, and obviously I might be wrong, but uh, you, you can clear it up for me. But I suggested to you that it might be interesting for you to start considering OCR. And yeah. I think at the time you may have uh, kind of toyed with it a bit, but 
I was able to introduce you to uh, the Spartan Cruise, I think. And yeah, we, absolutely. We got you out there, and, and you had a chance to mess around with some of the boys. And it's fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a that was an interesting event. It was. It was cool, really, just to kind of meet the uh, the OCR culture, uh, more or less, and meet Hunter and everyone and Ryan and you know all all really awesome guys and amazing athletes and stuff. So. It was it was a cool, just a nice inundation into oh cool this is this is what OCR is like. It was a uh, and nice to have you know my my homeboy uh, ultra runner guys out there Charlie Engel, Dean Carnassus, and, and Travis and stuff and go kick it with that Michael Wardian of course as well. Um, cool to cool to sit back and chat with them as well. But um, yeah, it was a really really fun blend of people on that uh, cruise. Yeah, incidentally, I brought those guys for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> was, all of those folks were invited by me. I brought them along. So Warden got a chance to show his, his uh, skills, and Macy's been out there kicking it in the OCR thing too, and that's kind of new for him. So I guess I could I could uh, take a little credit for introducing those ultra guys to yeah, OCR. Man, you're screwing up the OCR world for everyone. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I have a theory. I mean, I, I think that uh, there's there's some validity to it that these OCR guys need to spend a little bit more time uh, out on the trails and spending some time putting in some quality mileage. And yeah. the guys that are going to shine over the next few years are going to come from that. So I think that uh, drawing you guys in is my way of feeding the system, so to speak. Totally. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, especially, you know, when you get the longer distance uh, obstacle races and everything, it, uh, it's uh it's advantageous unless unless you unless you weigh us down with 50 pound sandbags the entirety of the race um certainly having a, a trail running background or uh, some endurance background will be helpful which is you know why i think ryan atkins makes such a, a phenomenal athlete in the sport so you know and ryan recently first time this year came off the podium he fit came it, off yeah off well, the- meaning okay. he didn't finish in the podium he yeah. he uh i think he finished fifth he's tapering exactly right you know and you 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 hit it right on the head it's like he he realized Hmm. at that point in time that (laughs) that well i guess i'm ready to taper oh man okay Uh, that's something to worry that that makes me more worried than seeing him on the podium i'm joking well yeah yeah and you know so they're really interesting how all this is starting to shake out and that's one of the reasons why i I reached out to joe DeSena. And yeah, I'll be interviewing him on Monday, and cool. I'll have him on the show sometime next week. And we're going to discuss the future of Spartan racing. We're going to discuss the World Championships. We're going to discuss the event in Vermont that I, I think he has designs on making the toughest of all the events. Okay. And so it should be interesting. But I want to get back to you, and I want to talk about what you did most recently, which I found out today. And you know, you're pretty humble, dude. I mean, we, we talked about this. Oh, yeah. I, do, I did the fat dog the other day, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and it never occurred to me that you won it, and you never alluded to the fact that you won it. Yep. And, and so I took the time today, and I read your blog. And uh, interestingly... So you got to read the whole thing, too, to discover that I won it. But <laughs> well, exactly right. And, you know, I just... It was such a nice little story. I think you, you're doing a great job with your writing skills. Uh, thank you. And I love that your girlfriend was, you know, she was chimed in all along. So, you know, it yep. was like the the support crew and the athlete, both yeah, sides of the a, story, right? It was, yeah, it was neat to have her perspective. I hadn't, you know, until, until I read her piece, I was like, holy crap, man, the, my crew goes through a lot too during these things. Poor her, you know, yeah. just, just all, all the waiting. Right. <laughs> yeah, waiting's got to suck. 
really not a, it's not a, it's not a fun you know you, you you compare it to OCR in terms of spectatorship and you you can see why the why the money and the numbers aren't aren't in ultras quite because uh it's not a it's not a spectator sport well, yeah, just anyway, trying to support someone that's out there doing that kind of thing is a thankless job anyway. Absolutely. Except Absolutely. for in your case, I'm sure you, you're very appreciative. Oh, I, I give the thanks. All right, I try to give the thanks. So the Fat Dog 120-miler, it mm-hmm. had – I'm taking this from your blog, but basically what I've got is that the elevation gain was about 28,454 feet, yep. and you managed to maintain about a 12-and-a-half-minute pace all through it. And just fell a little shy of breaking the record. Problem being, uh, no, I uh, the record was uh, twenty five hours and forty two minutes by Matt Cecil. Um, he set that last year, and then I was twenty five oh seven. So I, I broke the record by oh, about thirty okay. minutes. Even better. So, I guess yeah. what I what I what I was looking at was all through your little blog. You were talking about your goal being to break twenty four hours. Yeah, yeah. My goal was twenty four hours exactly. Um, or, or somewhere around there, and that kind of slipped uh, through some false summits on the right around like mile ninety. There's a big chunk of false summits that I was just like, "Whoa!" But fa- that explain to me what a false summit is. False summits are the things where like you haven't studied the race course well enough, and um, <laughs> you think you're there but you're like, not. They come from carelessness. Yeah, they come from like uh, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, getting to the top of a peak and being like, "Oh, this is it. This is the peak. I'm done with this climb. Thank God." And then uh, you see, you you start following the trail with your eyes, or, or maybe it's nighttime and you see the flags and you see it going downhill again. But then further in the distance, you see it going uphill again. You're like, "Wait a second. Yeah. Um, and then an hour later, you find yourself, okay, this is the peak. And you, and, you, and you get all that emotional energy on that second peak. And you're like, all right, this is for sure the peak. And, uh, and then you, again, look ahead. And then you find, oh, crap, <laughs> yeah. the next one's the peak. Um, so there was five of those in a row, basically, where they were all about three to 500-foot climbs apiece. Um, and each one that I got to, you know, I was like on the cusp of that record. And I was like, oh, God, this is it. No, oh, this one's it. This one's it. Oh, I give up. I give up on it all. <laughs> You know, by the fourth one, I was like, I'm, I'm oh. not getting the record. I'm not getting 24 hours. I'm done. I'm going to go find a rock and be miserable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Better you than me. Yeah, exactly. I, I just, I, I don't know how your feeling is about this. And I've always, I mean, back in the day when I was younger and stronger and, you know, participating in things like this, I used to tell people that you could do anything you want to me for 24 hours. Okay. But once I lay down and go to bed, game over. Do you, yeah. Do you find that like once you get past that, you know, the sun came back up again and it, you got to either keep moving because if you get eight hours of sleep or four or six hours worth of sleep, it just really, really, really tough to get back in the game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So in I'm I'm pretty good to be because of my experience in like, I don't know, like like the first time I started doing like Barkley distance races that threw me out to that like 36 48 hour range i'm fine up until second sunrise like second <laughs> second sunrise like the second night i think start going pretty bad like right between like 1 a.m and 4 a.m of the second night that's when like the hallucinations start coming out like hardcore and taking over um prior to that i'm i'm okay i can spit out 24 hours pretty pretty readily um i don't like to do too many of them in a year these days um, just because they're so, even a 24 hour event is so taxing on, on, on your adrenal system. Um, so, uh, so yeah, but, um, 
I can I can squeeze for the most part I I can squeeze by twenty four hours pretty readily and, and certainly as you're saying having the sun come up a second time is is very uh, encouraging. Wow, man! I, I'm just I'm looking at your uh, your blog here and I'm looking at all the events you did in 2014. Yeah, there's about so, ten so, events, right? You can see this, yeah, you can see this pattern of okay. Oh, Nick's getting more intelligent. He's overtraining less. Um, <laughs> so you can see in 2015 is it kind of looks empty. Um, <laughs> But but that's strategic. <laughs> that's that's on purpose. Um, versus yeah, you look earlier in my career, and uh, you know I think a lot of ultra runners have this. You know we get in the sport, we get excited, we're signing up for every single event, and we do that for two or three years. Then we wonder like, well, why am I not getting any better? Why why am why is why does my body feel poofy? Oh, well, it's because you're inflamed and you're like on the verge of adrenal fatigue. Um, you, you know I've got uh, while we're talking about this, I've got a friend who just emailed me yesterday and wants to send me these pulse oximeters. They, there's this company called Massimo that creates these sport-related pulse oximeters, much like you would find in a hospital. But okay. they, they're using them for determining what your state of overtrainedness uh, is. Huh. By huh. you know, Every morning you put this pulse oximeter on, at the end of the day you put it on, and it looks at your O2 saturation and starts to develop a you know a trend or a pattern in respect to how things are going. And it also does a really good job to determine what your state of hydration looks like. Interesting. Yeah, I got a couple of them coming. So uh, and I know you're coming this weekend. So if we yeah, yeah. hopefully I'll get them tomorrow and we can mess around with them a little bit. I'd be really curious to check those out. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah it'd For be a really guy like you'd be perfect. It'd be really neat to look at that, like after this uh, Spartan race, and see, like, okay, well, how is my recovery going? And then, okay, when can I optimally start WTM full-on focus or whatever it is? So let's talk about this Spartan World Championships for a second. Dun dun dun. Yeah. So <laughs> so um, you know, here I am. You know me well enough to know that this little mind is always buzzing. Yeah. You know, my mind is doing what my body can no longer do. Mm-hmm. But here I am sitting here, and I'm trying to ponder. Here's a guy that goes out and runs 70 hours. You're talking about sleep deprivation. You're talking about taking on some monstrous mountain passes. Uh, yeah. We just talked about 28,000 feet of elevation gain or 80,000 feet of elevation gain. Yep. And now yeah. we're going to add to the fray, uh, I don't know, what is it? You could, you could probably know better than me. I think it's about 30 to 50 obstacles over the course of 14 miles at moderate elevation. I don't want to overplay what a lot of people have built up as being this big elevation state because, in fact, it's only like 6,000 feet. So, Right. Well, Squaw Valley, you're 6,000 feet. There's the potential. uh, You know, I've done western states before. I've I've been in the valley. Yeah, you can go up to Esk Apartment Trail, which pumps you up to like 8.5 or 9 or something. But... um. It's yeah, you 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 could say it's moderate elevation. I'm I'm sure Desena and the other guys have found probably you know knowing them they've probably found the steepest possible hills out there. But well, um, yeah, my understanding is it's between six and eight thousand feet is what the course is going to do. Okay. But so here's what I'm I'm getting at is is it an event where you feel and obviously you're coming to see me so I would have to believe that you're feeling that you almost need to get a better sense of your gears changing gears in respect to your training because when you know when your mind is wrapped around going out for 24 hours or even longer uh, opposed to throwing down hard over 14 miles 
with probably some pretty steep grades. And of, of course, it's I don't want to discount the fact that we're, you know, we're um, over a mile up. So there is some elevation. It's a different deal, right? I mean, and obviously enough, you're going to, you're going to get anaerobic when you start playing with these uh, obstacles. Totally. totally. Uh, so what's your mindset? So, yeah, it's been, you know, my, my training approach approach has been entirely different because as you're saying, yeah, like a, like a 24 hour race, a, a your typical ultra, your 50 miler, your hundred miler, most of that's spent in your aerobic system and stuff like that. And in the, in the, in the, you know, parts where you'd be maybe briefly jumping up to like a lactate style, uh, heart rate or whatever, you know, you'd be on a really steep climb for a short period of time. Um, but nothing, nothing like what, what I'm going to be coming across in, in the obstacles and everything. So, um, my mindset, you know, for this and, and, and kind of strategy without revealing a whole ton, um, is efficiency and consistency, you know, so kind of had a similar approach, uh, but not really knowing what to do in training this time. I, I have a much better idea of what to do in training. Um, I had a similar approach last year to WTM where I was like, okay, if I can produce consistent splits on my loops here, that'll, that'll get me through the 24 hours. Here, uh, what I've been working on uh, in training and what I'm working on, um, well, obviously just in my training more or less, is monitoring um, right now, you know, when I go do like a little OCR style circuit, which is something like, I don't know, like a 400 meter run, then go through the monkey bars at the local elementary score or whatever it is. Um, then there's a little wall run that I do there and then another set of monkey bars or something like that. And, um, what I'm focusing on there is I'm, I'm watching my heart rate and I'm seeing, okay, what's the reaction of my heart rate to these? There is a, of course the lag. So, um, you know, I'll go through something like the wall run and then my heart rate won't spike until like I'm done with the wall when I'm done with a 200 meter run after it. Um, so that's a little frustrating, but then I'm also trying to do this. I just started doing this where I'm going, breathe one two, breathe, one, two, breathe, one, two. And so keeping that breathing rhythm, um, diaphragmatic breath, so all my breath is start, starting to try to have it come out of my stomach, uh, not just my lungs, because you get a much deeper breath if you're breathing out of your diaphragm. And so staying conscious of, okay, my breathing in the 200-meter run sounds like breathe, one, two, breathe, one, two, hit the monkey bars, breathe, one, two, breathe, one, two, off the monkey bars, right back in the breathe, one, two, breathe, one, two, and then hit the wall, breathe, one, two, reach, grab, did it all within that rhythm, almost like it's a dance. I was just going to say, it sounds like you're just taking me through the samba. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so it's like you're going in and out of these obstacles. And, and I think, you know, in terms of efficiency, um, you know, uh, the thing that screws me up personally with, with the anaerobic to aerobic switch is the fact that, you know, I have my heart rate set easily at, okay, I can go maintain my lactate threshold, which for me personally is somewhere around like 165, 166 beats per minute. I can maintain that for, you know, a good hour, hour and a half or whatever, no problem. Throw some push-ups right in the middle at me 10 minutes into it, my heart rate's like 180 and then takes forever to drop back down to 160. Um, so if I can do my push-ups slower and just keep my heart rate at 160 through that whole process... And, and, and control that through breathing, um, keep that consistency. My idea there is then that, you know, when I get to the other side of the push-ups, I'm going to be able to jump right back into that lactate pace, if that makes any sense. Well, it's, it's an interesting view. It's an interesting view. So um, it brings me to the conversation I had with John Alban. Okay. Uh, where we were talking about the runner versus the more 
CrossFit style athlete in this sport. And the the thing that he said that I thought was interesting and I, I, I found to be, I believe is very accurate, is that he said, if I have to do 30 burpees, mm-hmm. whatever time I'm going to give up to do those 30 burpees, I'm going to make up during the run. He said, so if I, he says, I'll gain a minute per kilometer on you running where mm-hmm. I may give up 90 seconds on the burpee. Okay. So, so yep. he said, I'll trade that 90 seconds on the burpee to, to get back that minute pace over top of you on the run. Absolutely. And, and, and essentially what I think he's counting on is being able to throw down a sub six minute pace while right. he's running because he's so comfortable at that at that pace running absolutely right and then he's recovering from the burpees is not that and he incidentally he told me that during uh the world championships last year there was only one obstacle where he burpeed out and and so he did all of the obstacles nice and so i'm thinking that he's he's a little bit more capable getting through the obstacles, and I know that his running is on par, but he told me that he has a hard time with altitude. So I think the edge for you, it seems, is that you, you're you pretty comfortable with altitude. Uh, yeah, altitude doesn't bother me too much. I mean, I did a um, – I stayed for like two weeks in um, – it was last year sometime before uh, Josue Stevens' survival run down in Nicaragua, and I um staying at the beach in Mexico for like two weeks. Then I flew inland and went and I went and meet – I landed in an airport west of mexico city in a place called toluca and um immediately just the place is at seven thousand feet and then i i got a taxi to eleven thousand feet and then ran up a volcano over there to fifteen three um and i did that you know coming from sea level that morning um so it doesn't bother me too much good uh, so long as i don't go diving and you don't get the bends good but, yeah well, that's interesting I, and i i'll tell you i've been i've been talking to some of the guys that are uh, formidable athletes that are definitely a consideration for podium at that race. And all of the people that I've spoke with that are considered to be a threat there come mm-hmm. from a pretty strong running, trail running background. Ah, cool. Nice, yeah. man. That's what you want yeah, to hear, right? Gonna be, yeah, it's going to be fun, man. There's going to be, I mean, I'm expecting to get, get humbled uh, pretty much in all respects. Uh, it's not a, it's not a distance. I, I consider myself a, a professional and by any means, um, the 14 mile area, but you know, I'm hoping there's enough climbs, enough Hills and heavy crap in there that it slows some of the, uh, speedster dudes down a little bit, but, uh, we'll see. So, <laughs> well, you're not concerned about running out of gas, right? No, no, absolutely not. Yeah. Just, yeah. just, you know, is the, uh, I'm more, I'm more like a diesel than I am a, uh, than I am a rice burner. Um, so, yeah, but you know, a lot uh, of guys that are, are heading into this, I think they're more concerned about running out of gas. I really okay. do. Now, I mean, uh, I, I can't speak for everyone, but yeah. I, I know that uh, I've talked to some guys that it's daunting for them to push relatively hard for 14 miles and you throw on top of that, the elevation gains and that complicates things right. for them. Yeah. No. And so, yeah, I'm coming from the other end of the spectrum where it's, you know, is my, is my gas that I'm going to be able to give for it? Uh, is it going to be fast enough? And that's, that's, that's more my preoccupation with it. Um, honestly, okay. I'd fare better if you made it, you know, if, if the world championship was the Spartan beast distance, you know, right. guys, myself and Atkins would, would probably fare better at a race like that. Right. Let's talk about, uh, the world's toughest mutter 
the last year you had it just humbled you, right? And you made some mistakes. Yeah. You're, you're not going to make this year. Yes, I mean, as as you said, take a glance back at that 2014. If anyone's listening, look at look at my blog. Look at the 2014 list and see how many races I did that year. See how many races I've done this year. Um, and and basically, what you see there is, you know, and I said it in my blog too openly on on WTM. I said, "Damn, I was I was overtrained, and I well, I was under recovered from Tour of Giants is what I was um, over over raced, whatever whatever you want to say. And then I was underprepared, of course, for uh, kind of the difficulty of it. Slash, um, I had never trained in a wetsuit before. I put it on myself at the race, and then I was like, "Whoa, this is really restricting. I hate breathing in this thing." Um, <laughs> oh, I thought you didn't have one. I know I, I had one. I had one. I ran. I ran all of one loop with it. Um, <laughs> so you ditched it. it. It was just you know I got the wetsuit when I was 16, and I did a triathlon once, and it had been in the closet since, and I was like. Nick and one of my friends like Nick, you should probably bring a wetsuit. Oh, it's Vegas. It's it's Vegas, dude. Really? Yeah. <laughs> How cold can Vegas get? Done. And we found out. <laughs> um, but yeah. I, my understanding was that uh, you spent the majority of your event outside of a wetsuit, and yeah. half of the problem was the hypothermia. Yeah, yeah. Half of it was that. I'd say definitely. Um, so yeah, there's some there's some issues and stuff that I can uh, cert- certainly address uh, this year going into it. Definitely. And you're going to do a team next this year? Yeah. So I was a buddy of mine, uh, Spencer Patterson, contacted me back in February. And he's uh, he's done some OCR races, been at WTM in 2012 and was fifth place there. Um, so he's, he's a really, really good athlete and a Navy SEAL serving our country and everything. Um, so he contacted me wanting to do like the Spartan death race, but I was like, oh, I don't really know what's going on with that. And so... I was like, why don't we funnel our energy and all our energy towards uh, WTM? And then uh, we formed it. The two of us were, were set to be on a team. Um, despite, I was, I was a little bit, like, hesitant at first just because, like, my blood's still kind of boiling with, like, I really personally don't like to leave things unfinished. Like, Barkley, I, it was an absolute obsession until I finished that race. So, you know, you bet your butt, like, yeah, I'm still boiling on the inside to go beat the crap out of WTM individually. Um like I want that. I want that. Uh, what is it, that? 125 mile black and white thing that they give you. Yeah. That's just that's enough for me. That's enough of a carrot to go do something ridiculous. Like try that hard in that race. <laughs> well, yeah, I could see your point. I, I think if I were you, that would be uh, that would be under my skin too. Yeah. Uh, so 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 joining the team, I was like, uh, I still kind of want to do it individually. But I was like, you know what? I can put my ego away and say, let's let's do a team. It's going to be a phenomenal time. Um, then Joe Decker, two-time death race winner, uh, owner of Gut Check Fitness here down in San Diego, uh, hopped on the team. And um, so it's myself, Joe, and then uh, Spencer, and then uh, my friend Brian Peterson, who's won the uh, he won the Bear 100 last year out in, I want to say it's in Utah, and then all-around really good um, uh, San Diego runner. Um, you know, when I used to train with him last year, he beat me in about every single speed workout we ever did, so... Uh, very confident in his trail running slash endurance skills, um, but you know he's 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 new to he's more or less like I was last year, where it's, this is going to be his first foray into a into an OCR race. Well, the carrot's going to be to try to break a hundred miles. Absolutely, man. Yeah, that's a, that's a nice paycheck, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I think you know at the end of the day, I mean, if you're going to do this, you want to make as much money as you possibly can, even though you're having a good time. Yeah. Oh, totally. If the uh, if the money's there, why not? 
So and I think that uh, Ryan, he, he felt that way, having won the event. Yep. He, he obviously, having won the event, it's a little easier to say, I think I'm going to just do the team thing this time, especially when there's money that's, that's at stake. Yeah. So so I know he's he's working on I don't know, is his, do you know if his team's fully formed yet? I think he was working on it last time. I don't think he's ready to, I mean, I try to talk him into telling me yeah. who it was, but I know that he's got John Albin is locked. Right, right. Uh, so, the, some, so, so I don't know who, I mean, I could think of a couple people that I think would be a nice fit. I think right. uh, Jun Young Park would be an interesting guy to put on that team. I'm there and throw like Cody Moat and you're good, man. We've got an all-star team right there. Yeah, and <laughs> I, I would um, – just in the conversation we had, he was kind of alluding towards a couple of dark horses that I don't know whether he reached out to them or not. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I hey, twenty five grand ahead, you know, to, to put on this race. Why not, right? Yeah, no, totally. Uh, and so, Hunter I'm thinking, I'm feels pretty good course. about it. Yeah, Hunter's team. Yeah, Hunter yeah. and uh, Mark Jones and all those guys. Yeah. yeah, they're feeling pretty good about it. I, I know Miguel's been really training hard, and okay. uh, I've Miguel's come to see me. We've done some work, and he's been really working on some of his skills. And um, nice. I haven't had a chance to, you know, get a look at what he's doing lately. But I know he's yeah. been working, and I've had a lot of people tell me that they felt that his his abilities improved dramatically over last year. Nice. And um, Hunter's been doing what Hunter does, and he's he's staying yeah, yeah. busy. I mean, it's a lot of cloak and dagger stuff with him, but yeah, yeah, he'll be, uh, he'll be in... he'll yeah. I'm be supposed ready. to call him today, and I and I don't know if I'm going to be able to get a chance to do it. But I'll say, I, say hi to say hi to him for me if you can. I, I mean, I'm really curious to see how it's all. I think the the race is really going to come down to the team thing. Everybody's going to be really curious. That, about... That's that, that's that's what I was just going to ask you. You know, in, in your opinion, who's uh. You know, so you're mentioning individuals who have been training, but then, uh, and I was going to ask, you know, what what a team actually lives, and, and it's difficult these days, you know, because certainly through social media, it's easy to 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 form a team with, you know, my, my team. Obviously, we all don't live in San Diego, but uh, you know, it, in my opinion, it's certainly going to come down to who's got the team dynamic. It's not it's not who has the best individuals; it's who has the best team, because um, it's a team race. Um, right. So, so yeah, certainly. Uh, I think anybody with honestly some adventure racing background or something like that who's got that kind of edge on it, you know, uh, at least from the team standpoint, uh, right. would be. Well, I think it's really important that they experience working together, totally, and that they think in terms of a unit as opposed to individuals. Yep. Yeah. And, th- and that's difficult for a lot of people, especially when they're competitors, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when you feel like you need to slow down for somebody, or someone is feeling like you're not pulling your end. Yeah. You know, especially like you when you're, you're, you've been out there for a little while, you get a little bitchy and you know how it works. Yep. 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 Anyway, so that's, that's going to be interesting, but uh, I'm really excited about what's happening with Tahoe. Yeah. No. And I think after this championship season mm-hmm. going into 2016, I think it's all going to get really exciting. I think you're going fi- to start finding a lot of new faces in the sport. A lot of people that are going to migrate from other sports. Yep. I agree. Simply it's, because it's going to be those migratory professionals leeching over from triathlon or leeching over from, from uh, honestly track and road running, because yeah. um, those are faster than those as a whole are much faster than trail runners. Um, and you'll get those guys. You'll get some of those like, you know, the college guy who decided not to do the marathon now, but he's capable of doing like a. I don't know what, let's say like a 1347 5k, he'll go learn some American ninja style stuff and then he'll go, you know, do a Spartan sprint and win it by like 
an hour <laughs> or something. Well, it's interesting. I had this conversation with Joe DeSena a while back, and his thought was that he felt that the new guard for the sport is going to come from maybe collegiate wrestling. Interesting. Mm-hmm. From collegiate wrestling. Yeah. you got to throw more obstacles in there. I, I guess what it is is these guys are pretty tough, and they yeah. do a lot of road work. And okay. I don't know that building speed coming from a, from a wrestling background might be mm-hmm. a little tougher than coming from a running background and developing strength. Okay. Huh. I think you've got a better chance developing that upper body strength that's necessary to get through the obstacles, yeah. given your history with your running skills, than, than someone that would be trying to do the opposite, which is it's, what it's runs a lot. Like, unless you had almost like a Ninja Warrior style course where you're talking, you know, like maybe a mile long Spartan race or something where it's so just dense with obstacles, you know, the moment that you say it's a 5K, you're talking a, a, aerobic, more or less, work that you're doing. Uh, versus, you know, from, from from what little kind of ignorant knowledge that I have of wrestling, for the most part, you know, it's a uh, it's 15, aerobic. 15, 20 minutes on the mat or the rounds? No, you- no, you're probably wrestling for um, uh, a couple of minutes at a time, up to okay. be, up to maybe, I mean, depending on how things go, but okay. you, you might do like uh, three rounds. And those, like and, those, and those are like full-on phosphagen system to the max, like 100% burst. Well, as soon as you you make contact with each other, it's it's just like an isometric crunch, you know, until right. somebody gets flipped on their back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's different. So. Interesting, though. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Joe, 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 Joe knows what he's talking about, so I'll have to expect some more well, obstacles. Well, I, th- I think the interesting thing about it is that um, as these courses, courses evolve, we're making these courses more difficult. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know what's interesting? I don't know if you've ever had a chance to race in one of these type of events in Europe, but John Albin brought to my attention that over there in some of the obstacle racing series, they have options. So, you know, you don't get to burpee out. You've got the easier course and the more difficult course. And okay. the, the more difficult course may be a shorter route. Interesting. That's kind of a cool thing. Yeah. So if you, like, for example, if you don't have good upper body strength, you might opt to do something that is less uh, taxing for your upper body, but it takes maybe twice as long to do. That adds in a whole factor of, like, strategy. Right. Which is kind of cool. I like that in the context that it's not only now the strongest and fastest, it's the the most on-your-feet intelligent athlete as well. Huh. Yeah. I've always, I've always, you know, kind of applauded Josue's uh, survival runs for that respect because, you know, you've got these kind of strange natural obstacles, you know, like carrying five gallon water jugs up the side of a, a giant volcano that was like seven or eight miles with those water jugs, and there's no instructions other than get the water bottles to the top, and so, you know, if you can devise with with the supply, and that's kind of the fun part with Death Race too, was you know, it's like it leaves the strategy of how to do the task kind of to you as the athlete. And then it's your intelligence level of adapting to an obstacle or adapting the most efficient method um, that, that does or does not get you through it. So, yeah, no, that's, that's, a, that's really cool that there's that element in those races. There's nothing about me today or ever in my past that would want me to do a death race. Yeah. No. <laughs> and, you know, and one of my clients, uh, Dylan Davis, has, he, he's done two this year. He did the, the winter and then he did the spring death races. And we talked about, you know, what he went through. 
Mm-hmm. And he says, now this is my life. This is what I want to do for, and I'm like, are you crazy? Oh. <laughs> and if you survive the stupid thing, you know, yes. you, you've got bragging rights. You say, well, I did it and then leave it alone. I yeah. just can't imagine wanting to revisit that. And that's kind of how I am uh, with it. I did 2011 and boop. <laughs> no, no, I don't know. I just, so but, before Joe DeSena knew who I was or anything, you know, so there you go. Slip, slip, great, are they? Well, I like the idea. I like the idea of these events uh, becoming more standardized. And I like the idea of eventually enough money coming into the sport where people can take it on like a pro athlete. I mean, I mean, we're, we're talking about pro athletes in the sport, but... Yeah. At the end of the day, when I when I think in terms of pro, I'm talking about, you know, guys that are making uh, the kind of living that when you turn 35 and it's not interesting anymore, that you can quit and you can retire and, you know, lick your wounds for having put in huh. a good solid that, 10 years worth of... Uh, MLB, NHL type kind of pro, not the... Because uh, <laughs> you have me thinking pro and I'm thinking like, oh man, like like Ryan Hall type pro? And I'm, well, then I'm thinking like, no. well, if he retires, he's kind of still he's like... Broke. He's kind of broke still. Yeah. I'm thinking. Of, I'm really thinking broke. of like the best runners aside from like Dean Carnassus, who's also you know a, a really you know a business guru as well. But other than that, I'm thinking of other runners, and I'm like, dude, we're a we're a kind of a homely bunch. Yeah. Um, well, the, see, that's what I'm talking about. It's like I think that there's um, because of the spectator value, and I think that's really the key behind all of this. You have the potential for, to gather more sponsorship. Absolutely. It's not going to yeah. be about the races you win. It's just if you're a threat and you have sponsorship, you can make a living. Mm-hmm. And and when there's enough exposure, I mean, it's just like uh, an NFL contract. I mean, these athletes, people say, God, he, he gets all that money. But it's yeah. relative. When you think about the spectator value and how many people are looking at the sport and how many people are paying for tickets for the sport – you That's know, true. at the end yep. of the day, it's it's a relative conclusion. It's like you you earn the money because it's your piece for for being who you are. Yeah. And yeah. I think that the advantage that this sport has over simply running is that you can get more people to want to watch it. And because there's so many events around the world, and as Joe uh, has been interestingly pushing towards, is getting a berth in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. that's going to change the whole dynamic of this particular sport. And it's like I said, this, I had this conversation with Amelia Boone, you know, mm-hmm. who is a successful attorney. Yeah. And I said, Amelia, if you couldn't make the kind of money that you need to make, would you quit your day job? And she said, no, nah, you know, I got too much time invested in my education and I don't think yeah. that uh, this sport will ever be what I need it to be in order to da 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 I said, so let's just say that I walk up to you after you finish a race and I offer you a $5 million two-year contract. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, are you going to quit your job? And she, uh, you know, laughing it off. But I think that there's potentially a chance that there will be a situation like yeah. not that far down the road where it'll come to that. Yeah. And I hope it, I hope it does because that means that my, my stock is going to go up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, guys that are seeking me out to try to get to a better place. Yeah. When no, they I, when they they're I, thinking in terms of millions of dollars changing hands. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the couple hundred or thousand or whatever it is to chain, yeah, isn't 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 much when you're aiming for the millions. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thought. I you know my 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 thought on that real quick is if uh, the idea with treating it 
professionally and the moment it kind of becomes your your source of income rather than you know a lot of some of what we have at least you know in in I would say it's something I'm passionate about, something I love doing. It's it's beyond a hobby, obviously. Uh, doing doing OCR races or, or doing uh, doing ultras and stuff like that. It's beyond a hobby. It is it is a pseudo career for me, but I wouldn't call it like I don't know. My 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 trepidation with with like fully accepting like a million from it is that you know it would become my full and only identity. Um, and then there's of course a danger in that with like you know okay well now if you fail there or if you don't perform in a race your entire identity and purpose is hinging on whether or not you perform um and that just you know puts a lot of that's your typical performance anxiety right there but um i don't know yeah so there's it's part of the deal i I work with professional boxers (laughs) i work with professional boxers and i'll tell you what my game came up uh from minor league to major league overnight when i was charged with training the featherweight champion of the world six weeks Heading into a championship bout, mm. uh, HBO, the whole nine yards, and his manager looks at me and says, nobody's touching him but you for the next six weeks. Oh, shit. I could not sleep. Yeah. I no, could I'm, not I sleep. Uh, I was dreaming about what if I don't do this right or what if I don't do that sorry. right. Yeah, reading every book there isn't the... No, you just, you know, you just really, really, really... It cha- as you suggested, it changes the whole dynamic tremendously, yeah. especially when there's millions of dollars at stake. I mean, yeah. obviously, I wasn't getting millions of dollars, but right. um, I was affecting that change. You know, hmm. if if he lost and he was under my care, then oh my god, I just couldn't. I didn't want to wear that at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately oh. for me, he he uh, uh, retired undefeated. And okay. and that was cool, <laughs> and I didn't have him. I didn't have him for the whole yeah, time well, that's, in, in his uh, career. But that's that's good advertising for you there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I only had him for one fight, so I, I can't take yeah. credit for his career. But the fact of the uh, matter is, is that uh, somebody threw me the hot potato, and yeah, I didn't, exactly. and I didn't drop it. You didn't drop it, right? <laughs> yeah. Awesome. All right. So let's uh, let's kind of turn tail here for a second. I want to talk about since we're talking about coaching and and earnings and stuff like this. Absolutely. You and I have discussed, and I think it's fair to at least shed a little light on the potential of the collaboration of developing a bit of a trail running technique, running mechanic series. Yeah. Um, you know, and you know, obviously enough, we're getting together this weekend, and we're gonna we're gonna do some stuff and play around and 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 play with this. But I think that I, you know, obviously enough, I got people that have been coming to me from all over the country and sometimes different parts of the world because they are feeling like in order for them to get to the place they need to be in this sport, they've got to get this running mechanics and their economy business worked out. Mm-hmm. And apparently I'm, I'm popular in that regard. Um, but I think it's interesting to bring a guy like you into the fray where your technical expertise uh, and yep. your history of contending with uh, technical terrain and you know motoring along and you're, you're very very conscientious of heart rate response relative to the work you're doing totally. you know being able to deliver a training session for people where they're able to get the the best of three worlds and the three worlds would be a fundamentals of movement learning to run properly b getting a clinical evaluation of heart rate response and understanding how that plays into their training 
and see how to deliver the technical aspect of trail running in a, a one-visit application. Absolutely. And, and I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I'm I'm really looking forward to to collaborating on that, and you know, yeah, teaching people, you know, okay, this is this is uphill on moderate terrain. This is uphill when you're scattered in rocks. This is the difference between you know pole usage, not pole usage. This is what your heart rate's doing when you're using poles. When you're not using poles, this is what your heart rate's doing on this. And um, yeah, no, it'd be it'd be fantastic to collaborate on you know what's the most efficient and effective ways to uh to move through these different types of terrain and all that. And that's something certainly uh. I've got I've got some hands on or feet on oh my experience. God. Of course, yeah. I <laughs> so. mean it's like it's it's one thing to have a guy that occasionally runs trail. It's a whole other thing when you've I mean just if you look at the sheer mileage you've put in on these trails and these difficult circumstances <laughs> at elevation. Yeah, you know that yeah. makes you so. that makes you like a, a a messiah in respect to this type of thing. <laughs> Ish. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm just giving credit where credit's due. Oh, thank you. <laughs> So and then after uh, after world's uh, championships and uh, world's toughest mutter, yep, you've got this lowest to highest Death Valley. Ah, event, right? cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that um, is one of my two projects. Um, so so I took this kind of year. If, if you look at my year, it looks pretty empty. That's because I've been trying to do these what I've called personal projects. Um, I was supposed to go out to the UK this summer and go run the fell running rounds and try to set the record there. That fell through because I'm learning like personal projects. And when you're not doing a race, it takes so much planning. Um, <laughs> when you're trying to go do something that no one else has done before or that like one other person in the world has done before, um, like it's easy to go to go sign up for an event. But when you're like, All right, I want to run across that random mountain range. Um, it's, you know, you got to do all the planning, you got to do all the logistics, you got to do all the fundraising, you got to find what the budget is. Um, and I'm discovering that is a pain in the butt of a process and that, you know, these fantastical ideas that I have don't always work. Long story short, um, this uh, Bad Water to Whitney thing. Um, currently, it's myself um, and Charlie Engel, actually. Um, uh, surprisingly, I talked to a uh, I talked to both Charlie and Dean uh, on the boat, so so thank you again for uh, for inviting them and uh, getting us together. Because um, I was talking to them after after the event at the uh, at the award ceremony, and I was chatting with Dean, and I was like, Dean, what do you think about doing? Uh, you know, if we got together, like maybe in like October, or, you know, in the in the winter when it's cooler in, in in Badwater, and we you know we run from Badwater to to Whitney, but we do it all on trail. Um, instead of on the, uh, instead of on the highway, like it's traditionally done. And he liked the idea, um, and said to chat with him later. And I asked the same thing to Charlie and Charlie loved the idea. And it's like, okay, we'll chat later. And so, um, it, it's coming to fruition now where it's looking like late November, early December. Um, I've got this route set up where, um, yeah, we're doing, we're doing Badwater Whitney, um, just trying to pass through some of the more historic cooler points along the way. And, um, the concept behind it is for the promotion, basically, of safe and uh, environmentally ethical uh, FKT practice. So safe in the context that, you know, we're going to film this with GoPros and try to really promote, like, I don't know, you know, we're going into this 20-mile section, per se. This is how much water we have. This is how much food we have. Um, and we've got these things in case of emergency. And we've got this for contact. And this person knows where we're going. And we're meeting this person here, approximately. And kind of going over the safety guidelines of, of what it means to do an FKT in a remote region and, and remote parts of the world. 
because um, as our sports getting as as trail running specifically is getting more and more popular, we're seeing things like Strava and all that kind of explode. Um, what we're getting, you know, isn't that all athletes are signing up for 50Ks and stuff, which is happening more, you know, but we're getting kind of some of these, I don't know what you have, just call them novice athletes, I guess, maybe, who, who are getting excited. They see these FKT attempts and, and there's no prerequisites for an FKT, you know, not that that's an issue or anything. And, and yes, it's far better that all Americans be out hiking. And I'd love to see that for our country and everything. But, you know, we're getting some of these people really excited about the idea of an FKT or an adventure and, and going out and, and getting themselves stuck or injured or, or in a life-threatening situation. I think uh, Grand Canyon had somewhere of like 340, I'm pulling the number from a document I, I read a while ago, but it was like 340 rescues last year um, in the Grand Canyon alone, which was like triple the amount that they've had ever before. Um, and, you know, I, you can attribute that certainly in part to like, the popularity of the rim to rim route or the rim to rim to rim route that, uh, you know, has been like the big Mecca thing for, uh, kind of FKT style adventure running. So, um, in this bad water to Whitney thing, uh, what myself, Charlie and Dean are hoping to do is really exemplify what safe practice of the FKT looks like and to kind of get that message out to uh, the trail running community. That's interesting. That's really interesting. I didn't know that's what was going on. You know, I was going to suggest that you. I was, was <laughs> going to suggest you talk to Marshall Ulrich, but I don't think yeah. I don't think Marshall is, is willing to to run another event with Charlie. I, okay. I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. You know, I don't want to you know air their laundry, but I don't, I don't think they're uh, running buddies anymore. But, I'm not sure. <laughs> but Marshall's got some tremendous uh, experience out there. Absolutely. In no, Marshall's a Marshall's absolutely a legend out in that area, and um, he's a great guy too. He's a great guy. I really like yeah. Marshall. Yeah, I've been chatting with uh, Ray, Ray Zahab, if you know the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been kind of consulting with him as he does a lot of like, his his whole career basically is built of like these nuts adventures. He's some he's sometimes grounded in a race or two. Yeah, but, uh, well, he did the Sahara race with Charlie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, it's just a, a master at kind of these like massive multi-year plans and adventures. So yeah, yeah. Well, I will see you um, Saturday morning. Or Saturday Sounds afternoon. Good. Yep. Absolutely. And we're going to get a VO2 on you. We're going to do a little gate work. We're going to discuss some running mechanic issues. And yeah. I actually have a little surprise. I have a little spot that I'd like to take you to and maybe do let you show me some of uh, what your thoughts are about some trail things. And, Absolutely. And then I'm going to get a chance to find out what, a, what kind of a chef you are. All right. Sounds good. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. My wife's looking forward to it. And Jade and I are looking forward to cooking for you. Yeah, so. well, that's going to be entertaining. You know, I never really had a chance to, to meet your girlfriend, really, really meet her and speak with her, so yeah, yeah. it'll be fun to meet her as well. She's the reason I'm, a, I'm an all right writer. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I tell you what, I can use some help there too, to be honest with you. <laughs> I hear you. All right, well, look, man, I will see you this weekend, and uh, thanks a lot for coming back on the show with me. Absolutely, oh, Richard. But before we run off, how do they find you for your new coaching business? Uh, so if anyone's interested in coaching with me, um, it is, uh, I started lucky 13 endurance coaching. Um, and right now I would assume go on my blog, which is Nicodemus Holland, type that in it'll pop up. Ultra Demus is my blog and then click coaching. It'll bring you to my lucky 13 page. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, uh, this business that I launched lucky 13 is named after I was the 13th person to finish Barkley. And, um, 
my training basically, yeah, based on a kind of a multidisciplinary holistic approach, looking at, you know, not just your, uh, ability to run or anything like that, but taking into account life stresses and a little bit of diet and, and all that. And, um, well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.